0: left or she coming or she's coming back now.
1: Tech 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 tech, tech one. Hey
2: everyone. Thank you guys again for joining us, Grassroots Podcast, live Zoom stream this time. Uh, we have a special guest today that is with us. As you guys can see, we'll, we'll get into the introductions as well. But before we do that, um, as always, be sure to hit the notification button to be notified for our latest of the greatest episodes. And also be sure to sign up for the newsletter so you'll hear about cool, exclusive things that we're dropping every day. Um, I am one of the hosts, Brandon killer all
1: I'm Aaron Ashley Simon.
0: I'm regular Nas. I don't think Wilson's in yet. So
2: yeah, I don't, we, think, I don't, I don't, I don't. And Clinton, we
0: introduce you. Introduce yourself, Clinton, around these parts, man. I was
2: wondering.
3: I'm like, am I, am I jumping into this roll call? <laughs> <laughs> uh, looks like your boy Wilson's here. Oh, there's Wilson. There you go.
1: Can you talk?
2: No. No, you can't. He messed up the intro now. He messed up the intro. He messed up the intro. We
3: ain't no Brady Bunch over here. We can't handle it. I was going to say, I wish we could set this up that we're all looking at each other, getting each other's names. <laughs> <laughs> like the Brady Bunch? Yeah, exactly. I'm Clint Sparks. Get familiar? What up? Yo, what is this, like, weird Wilson.
2: effect on my on my <laughs> screen? It's like a... I don't know some weird I don't know what's happening.
3: Purple rain.
2: It's like, Purple you know,
3: rain. You know, you like
2: can Yeah. yeah
3: like,
2: <laughs> I don't know I don't know what's happening right now. Um but as you guys can see we have a guest with us today. Uh world renowned world famous DJ DJ Clinton Sparks but outside of just being a DJ entrepreneur uh a, a number of things. So introduce yourself, Clint sir. Uh
3: well, you just kind of did it. Um Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Grammy-nominated, multi-platinum producer, DJ, songwriter, entrepreneur. Um, I just made a post actually yesterday on Instagram. Somebody, I did a a panel recently, and one of the journalists asked me, out of all the titles you have, what's your favorite title? And my answer was dad. So we have to make sure we find that, too.
1: Yes, best dad ever. I know you and and regular Nas were bonding over having daughters and just having that... um, connection uh, for you during this time. How has it been, you know, just uh, having conversations with your son who's older and then spending more time with your daughter during this self quarantine period?
3: Well, like I was saying earlier too, uh, I work from home for the most part. So my office is here, my studios here. Everything's here. So it hasn't really affected me. It doesn't really feel like much bad is going on. If I kept the news off, I wouldn't even know like all the drama that was going on, and if I didn't go to the supermarket, I was about to say the supermarket unless you <laughs> yeah. know something's going on. You go right back home like, "Uh,
2: what is that?" Yo, know, with- you know
3: the good thing is that like I <clears throat> I always get made fun of fun fun I always get made fun of for doing this, but now the jokes on everybody else because I always buy tons of Clorox wipes, tons of toilet paper, tons of like I, like I over every time I go shopping. I buy too much. Yeah. So like, everybody makes fun of me all the time. And now I got unlimited Clorox wipes, enough toilet <laughs> paper, <laughs> you know what I mean? to, so, la- to last a century. Right, right. But yeah, I mean, talking to my son, uh, you know, the only thing different about my son, like every, every kid, they want to go out and they want to be with their friends. My son's got a girlfriend, so he wants to be with her. And I'm like, dude, at the risk of killing us? And then uh, he's <laughs> no, like, they're gonna be safe. They're gonna be safe. I'm like, dude, you don't know. You don't know mm-hmm. that person's talking to that person's talking to that person. So, anyways, that's what I deal with. That and my daughter's only one, so she's just happy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Wilson, what are you drinking?
2: A little bit of Remy. <laughs> 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 Yo,
1: yeah, well, it's seven p.m. somewhere around here. <laughs> yeah, somewhere.
2: Uh, the funny thing is i don't even know what time it is have you lost track of time playing like i feel like as the days keep progressing like i woke up today feeling like it was thursday i didn't know what time it was right um partially because my, my cable box doesn't have like a time anymore but outside of everything else going on in the world how, how are you dealing with time and balancing in that aspect because i kind of feel like even though your world hasn't shifted everyone else's and oh. like are you having to adjust
3: to that now well, first of all, I'd like to point out that you, like the rest of the world, should probably have not been, not be using cable. Yeah. Uh, you probably be streaming by now.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, but secondly, um, yeah, I mean, I, I always, I have a saying that every day is Saturday. Um, yeah. So if you love what you're doing and you have a job that you wake up and you're passionate about every day, you're not looking forward to the weekend so you can get away from it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I, I just, I don't punch out, punch in and punch out. You know what I mean? There isn't a weekend for me. It's just and I love what I do. I love creating. I love strategizing. I love building. I love connecting and communicating. So um, I know it's kind of a lame answer, but every, every day is Saturday for me. So, you know, it's so funny. So I told
2: Aaron this before. I met you a while ago. And you said that damn near the exact same thing to me when I first met you. This was years ago with Joe. Um, we were in Japan. I think it was Okinawa. I think I want to say Okinawa, um, City for Levi's tour. And, and this is like one of the first tours I've ever done. That's how I met you. Um, we did a radio station over there. Um, and I said something to you somewhere around, along the same lines of pretty much like what keeps you motivated. Because I remember you lived in the States and then you moved out, out of town and then you were gone for a while, but you were just so active. And then you said something that was similar. So it was just interesting. How How is it that you've been able to still stay in this kind of humble pocket of being really, really kind of an amazing human being and having all these accolades, but still kind of looking at yourself like, ah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm okay, I'm cool, but still, still trying to move forward.
3: Well, first of all, thank you for that for that compliment. Um, secondly, um, I don't know. You know, it's funny because people people say stuff like that to me all the time, and you know, I wonder how people don't feel that way. Um, so it, it's it's weird that people look at me like wow, that's unusual. Like, how do you do that? And I'm like, wait, what do you mean? Doesn't everybody like, that's what I thought about. I thought my whole life, I thought everybody was as excited and passionate mm-hmm. about what they do as I do it. And actually it's just the past, like say four or five years is when I started really realizing, um, the uniqueness of the way that I think. Right. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize it was unique. I didn't, I didn't know that. Plus the other thing too, is that, the way you grow up, everybody, like all of us on this call right now have had things that affected us from the way that we were raised. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. From whether it was our parents, whether it was like, you know, demographically where we you know, whether we were bullied, whether we were sexually, mm-hmm. abused, whether like what have brothers or sisters like no dad, your mom beach, you, whatever it is, something's happened that kind of helped make us who we are in mm-hmm. our life. And that's kind of why I was, I, I, I didn't have shit. So mm-hmm. you know, and then there was nothing around and, and you know I was I had no friends, I was sexually abused, I was bullied, my dad left when we were young, my mom was gone working two jobs all the time. So mm-hmm. um, that kind of pretty much kind of molded the the insatiable appetite to win and hustle because mm-hmm. when I was twelve I started my very first company. It was called Rent a team and uh, it sounds weird now, but back then, I, know, we, I was about to say I don't know if that would fly this time.
2: <laughs> we we'll probably had to change that. For sure,
3: but but what it, what that was was I would gather all the local kids around my na- neighborhood, and then I would I would hire them to go do like shovel walkways, take out trash, go grocery shopping, clean people's houses because a know. lot of uh, senior citizens, elderly people, living where I lived. So I gathered it, and then I would you know take my cut you know what I mean so like that was the beginning of me being an entrepreneur about 12 13 years old when I did that um and then the other, and then myself I just hustle like well some people would back in Boston when people would go shoveling I would figure out systems on how I can do more for less time and like I've always been an overachiever and a workaholic because again back to being a kid you kind of have that mentality where it's like look dad I, I, I hit a hard run Oh, look, dad, I got an A on my test. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and you're always trying to prove that you're True worthy of someone to care about you. You
2: mm-hmm. know what I mean? So
3: like, that's how I always went. So like, I always compete with myself. So like, even in my book, there's like a lot of game and a lot of, uh, you know, strategies and tools that I teach that like, it's not like, look, I read a lot of, I've read a lot of books, right? We watch a lot of people online trying to give game inspiration and tools to, to try to win, right? You mm-hmm. uh, know. There's not really many people that are out there that actually give a fuck. You know what I mean? They actually care about you. They're just trying to mm-hmm. make a business, right? Like, yeah. actually give a shit. You know what I mean? And I always mm-hmm. have. In in fact, it, it's even a hard hurdle for me to to, to to get over when I'm doing something for others that will make me money. Like, I feel weird. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Because I just want to help. But I also know at the same time, like, I got to pay the bills. You, you got you to pay the bills even writing this book, like, like the book, I just wrote this book, how to win big in the music business. Right. And it comes out in a couple of weeks, the book is free. You know what I mean? Like, this book took me like months and months to do, but it took me 20 years to be able to write this book. You know what I mean? But like, and it's free, you know what I mean? So, uh, I mean, I can keep going on, but yeah, <laughs> just to get back to our conversation in, in, in Japan, um, you know, yeah, I, I don't know how not to think like I could be broke tomorrow, so I have to work 10 times harder. Yeah, uh, I mean, literally, even like a phase, like I could raise a million dollars today. You know, most people, like, they do something like that. like, oh, I'm good for the week. You know what I yeah. mean? You know, like, yes. Oh, I'm good. like I'm good here for a month. Like every day, like I wipe the slate clean and press the refresh button. So like whatever I accomplished yesterday, the next day, it's like it didn't even happen. Yeah. You know I, mean? like, I have to win every single day. So that makes a lot of sense. So,
1: how do you? I mean, you you went through. You you, you just discuss a lot of personal stuff and. Um, these are some things, especially, you know, with, with sexual abuse and everything like that, that's something that's hard to kind of overcome and it's hard to deal with those problems so that when you're older, you know, you can live a, a more healthier life. So how are you able to overcome it? Did you go to therapy or there's other things that you did to kind of deal with some of the, the, the traumatic experiences growing up in your childhood and just to make sure that like, as you gotten older, you gotten better as a person.
3: No. And it's funny because when I was young, I remember people saying to me, my mom in particular, like uh, you should go see help because one day this will come back and bother you. Right. And you know, like most people, it's kind of a traditional way of thinking so if this happened to somebody, they better go talk to somebody or it's going to just like build up inside them, and one day they could just explode. Right. But I was always like, why? It wasn't my fault. So like, I never needed to go to therapy and never seen, I never had to ask like, why? Because even when I was a kid, I was very analytical and I was really good at assessing others, but also being very self-aware. And it it wasn't my fault. That dude needs therapy, not me. He's the one that had an issue. The Mm -hmm. guy was fucking with me, right? So I, I was just a poor, innocent, you know, kid that couldn't help himself. So even when it was happening as a kid, I remember thinking like, why, why why does this dude do this? You know what I mean? Like towards Mm -hmm. the tail end, obviously the first half, I don't, I don't even know what's when you're a kid, you don't even know what's wrong. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. When you're nine, 10, 11, especially when it's the same person that's buying you toys. You know what I mean? That's like doing these things. You don't, you don't know any other life. So you don't know that that's not right. Um, And I think that's why a lot of people that go through sexual abuse or rape or something like very young, Um, one, they're scared, two, they're embarrassed, and three, they don't know, especially someone like me, like, who do I tell? You know what I mean? Like, who am I supposed to tell? You know what I mean? Like, this is the guy that's watching me when my mom's not around sometimes. So that's the authoritative figure. That's the person that's supposed to protect you. So you don't even know. You haven't lived already to look back and say, hey, man, that's wrong. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So, um, and I think that's why people will say, you know, you need to take care of this because later on, when you do look back and see it was wrong, it'll bother you. But it's not if you look at it from the perspective of it wasn't my fault, yeah. right? And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times people, I have conversations with people that a lot of people want to talk to me about problems, right? And one thing I'm, uh, I specialize or I, I I like to focus on is resolution, right? Uh, in my book, I talk about mastering art. It stands for automatic resourceful thinking, right? So like- I like that. The second something happens bad, I don't like, oh my God, what the, I'm just like, okay, cool. It happened. How do we fix it? Right? Like sometimes people will look, people will look at that as like, yo, you're super insensitive. You're Dismissive. Dismissive. I get that all the time. Oh my God.
2: Oh my God. That, that thinking, that's how I am. That's how I am. And people always... Take
3: that Because something. you master art, automatic responsible yeah. cool thinking. Yeah, yeah. It's like the yeah. second something bad happens, like I was just giving my girl an example right now. Like if I walked out, and I see my son get hit by a car, I wouldn't be like, "Oh my god!" Ah! I want to pick him up, because we gotta fix it. Like, what do we gotta do to yeah. fix it? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, How are you not crying? Ain't got time. Gotta fix it. You know yeah. What I
0: mean? like, yeah, yeah,
3: It's kind of like, and it's so it's it's kind of been like that even back when you were saying about um my childhood, like. It, it's not my fault. And people look at trauma as like, oh, man, this is a long journey to getting healthy or, or, or fixing it. And it's not. It's not a long journey. It's merely a decision. That's all it is. You decide today. You can hang up this call. Someone on this call right now could be going through some shit. be like, man, I'm dealing with this shit. Like, I'm going to therapy. I'm trying to work through it. No, you decide today. I'm over it. And you move the fuck on. That's mm-hmm. the only way it works because you will be in this trap for the rest of your life trying to fix it. You didn't break it, so it's not your job to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not broken. You just happen to be a victim of something that wasn't your fault. If you're in a car accident. If you break your leg for the rest of your life, are you traumatized now? <laughs> I remember when I was 12, I broke my leg. Like, no. <laughs> it's like, it's not your <laughs> fault. You got hit by a car, you're You healed and you got over it. Get over it. And I know that sounds aggressive and maybe even insensitive to some people, but honestly, that's really the way to live. And that's the way to move on, man. Any other way? My dad's been going to therapy for 50 years. What are you still going for? What have you not talked about? what 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 are you still talking about? You know what I mean? Like, okay, your mom did this, your dad beat you up, you went to Vietnam. We get it. Okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe he enjoys the conversation. Some people. No, he doesn't. he doesn't. He doesn't. He hates it. He thinks the doctors are idiots and he doesn't value anybody that doesn't go through what he oh, wants. So, so what is he going for? And I'm confused Maybe that's his entertainment. No, that's my point. I think a lot of people like, look at finding your way. Look, I'm not saying that going to therapy or reading books or talking things out doesn't help you find answers or help you work your way through the weeds because it can, but at some point, either you're never getting out of the weeds or you're just talking about the same weeds over and over and over again, and you're not listening to the way out. There's answers for the way out if you're listening and paying attention and if you want to get out. Problem is too, a lot of people want to stay with the woe is me for the rest of their life because it's all they know. So they're it's uncomfortable in getting out. Yeah. They yeah. Mm-hmm. like being a victim. <laughs> And it's, it's the only way they can blame, you know, other people for problems. If they're not mm-hmm. a victim of something, they don't have something to clutch on to say, well, it's because of this. And, like, every time tough times get tough, <laughs> they'll resort back to, like, you yeah, but this, this, this is what I'm dealing with this. And it's like, come on, mm-hmm. bro, seriously? Yeah. Like, what's that have to do with you can't pay the rent? You know what I mean? Like, what happened 30 years ago? What does that have to do with you being a dick right now?
0: Yeah, you know, it- <laughs> yeah man, that's my own heart, man. I agree. I'm listening to you talk, and the few times I've been in there, it keeps kicking me out. But you're a man that's my own heart, man. I appreciate everything you're saying right now. I 100% agree with you. Thanks. That's all I wanted to say. There's no question in there.
3: <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: Yo, this bond going on with Naz
3: Clinton, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so hey, you, know what, you know what's funny? I, I want to commend you for two things. One, I really just thought this was going to be a conversation like, hey, let's talk eSports and music, and let's promote your book, right? Like, the fact that you just asked me a question like that that could make me go that deep, not many people. And I, I try to teach people. I've been interviewing people for 20 years, right? There's an yeah. art to like, getting people to talk about certain things. There's an art about getting information that 400 people didn't already ask them already, right? And like the fact that you just like open the door and say, Hey, let's go down this path that can be more useful and more informative about not only who you are, but how you can actually help other people in the course of those conversations. So Yay <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, with us, like, we try to have these conversations. I mean, we, we have this battle, right, with grassroots where it's like, you know, we, we we don't talk about sometimes the the trending topics or what everyone's talking about. And it hits us sometimes with numbers. But for us, we want to have these meaningful conversations because down the line, this kind of content is more important. And, and our audience love it a lot more because it's not like this surface-level crap.
3: Well, as Brandon can see... From our conversation, you know, eight, nine, whatever years ago in Tokyo, and I'm still singing the same thing. I'm like the young Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <I, I> this <laughs> what I was talking about fifty years ago. Same shit,
2: man. <laughs> I, honestly, it's it's impressive. You know, most people change day to day, minute by minute, hour by hour, and that was just it was just really impressive to be honest. Like I didn't think that you would have still been in that of that same mindset, given all of your success, and, and even like I think I do remember. Um, pretty much everything that happened with you as a kid. And I remember uh, kind of you doing an interview about it, but I just think it's cool. The fact that you're now able to, even at, at a young age, even now you're still able to talk about those things and still have grace and still say, you know, as a, at an early age, Hey, I know it wasn't me. Do you think that you were kind of, I guess, I don't even know how to say it. Do you think you were kind of already prepared for that moment or those moments as a kid? And now as an adult, you're able to just now share that with other people and kind of help them, find some clarity?
3: Well, yeah, you know, it's funny. I never talked about what I'm talking about with you guys up until um, I was signed to Def Jam in, was it 14, 15? Like, like five years ago or something, right? And I was hired by Deutsch Worldwide, if you guys know that that marketing company, Donnie Deutsch. Um, and they were doing a, an anti-bullying campaign with this acne cream called Galderma. And they hired me to make make the music. And I made a record with a band called The Mowgli's. The song has over 45 45 million streams already, right? But anyways, um, and it was like an award-winning campaign. But what had happened was, when I was writing the lyrics of that song, part of the campaign was have people send in letters that I would read, that I could read, and it would inspire me to write the lyrics. While I was reading these letters it made me realize that these kids actually need somebody they can relate to that can share their story. And prior to that, I never talked about my childhood. I never talked about like, I was a career criminal from like, Mm -hmm. you know, 10 to 20. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, big time criminal, right? Mm -hmm. I never talked about it. Why? Because when I started becoming successful in hip hop, Look, if I talked about all the crime I did when I was young, from sticking people up to robbing cars, breaking in houses, all this stuff when I was young, I could have been I could have got more stripes in hip hop. Yo, that dude's real, right? But I didn't do that because I didn't want some other kid to say, look at Clint Sparks was a fuck up and he's doing all right. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I intentionally never talked about my past uh being a criminal and I intentionally never talked about my childhood as far as it relates to you know my dad being gone and and, and, you know, sexually being sexually abused because I just didn't, I don't know. That part, I don't know why. Maybe I was embarrassed, you know. And, you know maybe I didn't see it felt, it served any purpose, right? I was going to uh, say, maybe you felt like you, you had already gotten over it and you were like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm comfortable in my own skin. It, it that, was that, also, I'm also, I'm also not someone that looks for sympathy. Yeah. So the two things, I guess it was, I, I was embarrassed. I didn't want anyone to feel bad for me and it didn't really serve any purpose uh, in, in my mind at the time. So then uh, when I wrote the song and I got the letters, it was the first time I decided I'm going to talk about it. And I did an interview during that campaign. It was the first time I ever revealed that I was sexually abused. And like, man, like not only do we make a hit record that we won awards with, but I can't even tell you how many kids reached out and like needed someone to help guide them. And even if there was one, two, three, four, five kids that could now, you know, manipulate their mind to think the way that I was thinking now, And to get over it and realize it's not your fault and not dwell in it and just keep asking questions about why or how come or why, what was me? You know what I mean? Like that it never really gets you anywhere. What's going to get you somewhere is when you realize and can step back and look at it and realize what wasn't your fault and then realize the sickness that this other person had, then just try to analyze that. So to answer your question, um, I think I realized um, at the age of 21, I like to say, is when I, when I figured out the keys to life. And <clears throat> what happened at 21 was, so because I was a criminal, my mom sent. I was getting arrested. My mom kept getting me from, from jail and stuff. And uh, by the way, I don't even talk about this. Like, like, I, don't even, I don't even know if I ever talked about being in jail and stuff like this. Like, yeah, like, I, didn't,
2: I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I'm talking
3: now. Mm. Um, but like, so she sent me with my dad who, like, I never lived with my dad. He left when we were five, right? And then she sent me with my dad to the suburbs when I was 15. I'm from the city. I, like, I was super hip. I was always way too, like, white for the black kids and too black for the white kids, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I never fit in. I was just Clinton, right? But <laughs> um, so she sent me out there, and here I am, a kid wearing, like, an Adidas, like, tracksuit out there, all white kids. Like, this is when, like, heavy metal was on MTV, and like dad's like... It was very segmented when I was in school. It was like black kids there, white kids there, Asian kids there. That's just what it was, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I was, I was always the kid in school that sat at everybody's table. And I would be friends with everybody because I, was, I, I wasn't one of them. I was just me. So um, my mom sent me to my dad. And then when I was 18, me and him had the big father-son fight, right? Because he used to say one thing to me that would piss me off. And I don't know if any of you guys' dads left. But like, he would say this one line that I asked him a few times not to say. And he would still say it. And that one line was, that's not the way I raised you. And then one day I found, I was like, well, you didn't fucking raise me, dad. And then like, we got into a huge fight over. He goes, what are you talking about? I did this and I did that. I go, yeah, when I was fucking 15, right? I go, I'm already, I've already been through five lives already. You don't even know the lives that I've lived because you weren't around. You know what I mean? So like, mm-hmm. we got into that big fight. And I remember I was like, When I'm a father, I'm going to be a way better fucking father than you. And I remember he was yelling back at me. He's like, yeah, you'll see. Life happens. You'll grow up and da, da, da. And this, this and that. So I was like, fuck you, dad. And then I didn't talk to him for a few years. In my mind, I was like, he's out of here. Never talk to that dude again. So then a few years went by. And I was angry at him. But then I was just sitting, thinking to myself. And this is going back to how I would even analyze my abuser. Uh, I was like, man, what happened to my dad when he was a kid? that didn't allow him to be the man I needed him to be for me. Mm. So when I, when I did that and I realized his mother molested him, his father used to beat him, oh. he was sent to Vietnam, came back an alcoholic, and all the stories that I found out, instead of having resentment, I now had empathy. Oh. So, because I realized he's fucking 22. How can he be a good dad? Look yeah. at the shit he went through, right? So mm. then I went back to him. And I spoke with him and I listened to him and I totally just bonded. And then my dad became my best friend, right? And and that that realization of turning the resentment to empathy was like the key to life. I I feel like I figured out life in Mm -hmm. that. Because now I just looked at everything different, everything. No matter what happens, there's a way better way to look at it if you don't let your emotions drive the car. And that's the problem. Most people's emotions instinctively go to anger or 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 hurt or disappointment. Um, But if you can control your emotions and have a level head and think about it, it also goes back to the mastering the art thing I was saying. But then that's how I figured out things with my dad. So that goes back to your question: like, when do you think you realize how to do that? And I think it might have been instinctive because when I was young, look, to be a thief, you have to be pretty sharp and clever, right? So Mm -hmm. like. So to be a successful one, I <laughs> going to say to, to be good at it, yeah, yeah, right. I was really good. Right? Uh, so, and I did it by myself too. That, that's even a testament to being by like, I didn't tell my friends, I didn't do it with my buddies. I didn't brag about it. I didn't flaunt it. I did my dirt all by my lonely. You know what Naughty I mean? Nobody
0: by nature reference. I got caught it. Right. right.
3: <laughs> and nobody even knew. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, yo, I'm doing this. It wasn't like that because I was doing it to survive. You know what I mean? I wasn't doing it to flaunt or get clout or to show off or be cool. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I think when I was young, you know, you don't know. There's a saying I, I have it's in my book actually, too. Uh, you don't know you're making history while you're making it. Right. And I wasn't making history per se, but I was building who I was going to be. And you don't know that while it's happening. Right. Like even being molested, you don't know like, oh, man, I'm actually developing a superpower on how to think. Even though there's negative things happening, something great's happening too, if I let it. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm.
0: do you think, do you think that, and this is just my mind, you know, working, do you think that your pops is still going to therapy because you kind of leapfrogged them in the fatherhood department? That you were able to understand and have empathy for them, which he couldn't maybe maybe, and I don't know, I'm just theorizing, maybe he couldn't process that. You just leapfrogged him as a father because you showed him empathy and he, showed, he gave you nothing but anger or what you perceive to be as anger. And well, now with your, with your own son, do you, find, do you catch yourself like, all right, I'm getting ready to get angry. I'm going to say something that's off the handle. Let me fall back.
3: Well, two things. That. That's like two questions. So the last one I'll answer real quick. Um, no, I never have to restrain myself from saying something that I'll regret because I just don't have that in me. Okay. So there's, there's never when you when you decide what kind of man you want to be. There's nothing anybody else can do to waver that. If you make the strong, definitive decision that this is who I am, so no one's going to like make me come out of my character because that would mean they're stronger than I am, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to let that happen. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, so what happened with me and my father is um, I think my son was five, and my dad took me. Uh, we went to dinner. And we were driving down the street, and he starts to pull over. I'm like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I gotta tell you something." I'm like, "You can't fucking drive and talk." <laughs> he goes, <"No." laughs> "He goes, no. he goes. It's important. It's important. Uh, I gotta tell you." So I'm like, "This dude's gonna tell me he's dying from cancer or something, right?" So then he pulls over and he stops for a second. He like looks up. You know, my dad. When my dad's gonna get emotional, he like looks up in the sky, and does this. I'm like, "Dad, what's wrong? All right." And he looks at me and he's teary eyed and he puts his hand on my shoulder and he goes, I just want to tell you you're a better father than I was. And it was such a uh, monumental moment because that means when I said I'm going to be a way fucking better father than you when I was 18, eight years later, he's been holding on to that. And remembered that I said that, that eight years later, hmm. he had no other option but to give me the props for being a better father than he is. Or he'd just be lying to himself. You know what I mean? So, like, that was a really pivotal moment uh, in my life uh, as far as, like, not that I need to prove anybody anything, because I, I, know, I know that I'm a good dude. I don't need to prove it to nobody, but, like, to hear, like, him say that, to me, showed how powerful that line was that I said to him because he held on to it for that long. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, so
1: speaking about proving, right? We've had conversations before about when you are when you are behind the scenes and 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 connecting certain individuals and doing certain projects. Sometimes you don't get the credit that you've earned for those specific projects or for those specific uh, milestones that you have. So for you, how have you been able to move where you're able to? not hold on to, I mean, you say you you talked about like not holding on and just finding a solution. So what was your solution for those times when people didn't give you the the appropriate credit for the work you did behind the scenes? And then also how did you get, find those solutions um, even for now when you made that move into esports?
3: Just keep doing dope shit. (laughs) (laughs) Short and sweet. Yeah, short and sweet. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, really, that's all it is. I mean, you don't want to give me my props? Cool. Like, Tell them, day, Clinton, you'll take them. You'll take them. <laughs> kind of, sort of. I mean, like, look, if, I, if, if all you guys knew all of the things that I did behind the scenes that shaped and shifted the culture that we're all a part of today, like, I would, I would be regarded and revered as the biggest moguls out there, right? You I, just, I, I think
2: you are, though, in, in the DJ space. Like you're one of the first people to actually go international and be successful and, and actually flourish and bring hip hop artists over into international radio stations. You were the, the plug at that time. At Do that people time. feel that way about me? huh. I think so. People that know. People I just, know hip hop. Should yeah. People people uh, that know hip hop. I just found the video, the tour that we did. I sent it to the group chat. But yeah, people know that. Like I don't. I don't think that. Um, I think more people should know it. I don't think you get enough credit, but I think the right people know it. Absolutely.
3: Yeah, you know, I, I think it's safe to say, and I don't mean this in a pompous way. I think I'm probably the most underrated, unappreciated, unappreciated, most successful person in music. Because <laughs> uh, when I say in music, because the things that I've done have, I mean, it was me that convinced Akon for two years to make dance music and go work with David Guetta, which wow. like literally changed the scope of radio music, clubs, <laughs> deep gang, every EDM music. Like it just changed everything, right? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, that's just one of many things. Like I introduced hip hop to Hollywood. When I first got on E! News in 08, all they talked about was Paris Hilton and Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. I'm the one that would bring Pharrell and, and Pusha and Telenqually and Common and all these people on the E! News. Like they, they, didn't, they didn't know, you know what I mean? Like they weren't doing this. Yeah. Um, even when I was on Shade 45, um, I used to take electronic music and I would slow it down. So say so you have a beat that's like... I would take it and be like... D-block! And the streets would be like, yo, what is this crazy shit, Clint Sparks? Like, they thought I invented electronic music. You know what I'm saying? Like, and even like, you know, Paul Rosenberg and M used to get mad at me because they, they just wanted to hear boom-bap hip-hop. And when I would like experiment and stretch the boundaries, like it used to frustrate them, which is, which is why I left Shade 45. Nobody Mm -hmm. made me. I felt, I felt like kind of almost a little unwanted. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. I'm the one that brought Static Selector to Shade 45. I'm the one that brought Angela Yee to radio. I'm the one that brought Kay Slade to Shade 45. Like, bro, like I invented world star hip hop. People don't know that. You know oh my gosh, what? Can we dive down, into that just a little out. bit? Wait, 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 yeah,
2: wait, wait. <laughs> you are giving us a lot. Let's let's take this one thing at a time. Let's, let's start go. with World Star Hip Hop. <laughs> no, fuck whoa, that. I don't care whoa. about World Star Hip Hop. Not that.
3: I want to know about you said you brought Angela Yee there? Yeah, so Angela Yee started on my show. She would do the rumor report with Angela Yee on my radio show. And I would literally write everything like every week and like, I need you to talk about this this week.
2: That's crazy.
3: Uh, and like static selector was like, he was like, uh, and I mean this with all respect cause he's dope, but he was like my understudy. So like he was in Boston, he would come to clubs and study me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And he would come to my house and stuff and he'll say it himself. He said it on in interviews. I'm like, dude, you don't have to say this, but he would even say I used to carry Clinton's crates. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and like, and by the way, I don't ever look at that as below me or someone. You know what I mean? Like we're all the same. We it's just yeah, like, you 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 right, you you you've done things. There's nothing wrong right, with so, that. And then like when I was gonna leave, I'm the one that went to Paul and was like, "Yo, you should bring Stash Collective to take over my role because he's the he's the new DJ Supreme. I mean DJ Premier. Sorry. Um, and like you should have him on here. So like, I I handed over my my slot on Shade Forty Five to him and was you know doing what I was doing like you like you said, travel the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so Angela Stem and Case Lake. I remember Case slay was I went to Shave 45, Paul, and I was like, yo, yeah, we should bring Case slay over here. Like he's fucking for the hood, he's for like the jails and like all the street motherfuckers that like this is what we need to have on Shave 45. And uh and I gave up my because I used to be on Thursdays, but he had his sweet sweeper radio on hot ninety-seven on Thursday. And nobody else was going to try to give up their slot, right? So mm-hmm. I, I changed my day of the week, which really inconvenienced my schedule to bring him on because I wanted, as a team player, I wanted our whole roster to be a team of all-stars. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I'm very, I'll tell you one thing, I'm very selfless. Like I, I want, I want, I'd rather be on a team of all champions than he just be the champion on a team of, like, bums. I, agree. I, mean, I don't care about standing out. It doesn't matter who hits the home run as long as the team wins the game. So... Yeah, and then as far as uh, I seen Wilson or Nazim, one of you guys got excited about Worldstar. So, what? The invention of Worldstar. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, this is a big story because, um, so what happened was when I started doing mixtapes in like 99, right? Um, At that point, there was a bunch of like hood websites, right? And they, they didn't know, they didn't understand business, they weren't good at customer service. Like you'd have to hit them up, be like, yo, my name's regular Nazim, I got the hot new mixtape. And they'd be like, word, who's on your your mixtape? Right, and then you'd have to tell them, and then like you'd have to prove to them that you had exclusives of hot new shit for them to carry you and give you your five, six, seven dollars per mixtape, right? Or it actually went down to three at one point, even two. But anyways, so, so you'd have to convince them, I'm a white dude from Boston at a time where hip hop is New York and black. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I'm, it's all against me. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, then like, and then like, and also like Eminem and Benzino are like fighting each other. So like, whatever, just, whatever. So, uh, so I was doing the mixtape like, man, these guys fucking suck at running their companies. So I was like, I need to, I need to figure out how to make the mixtape system better so i met this kid ag at violator records like in the early 2000s like i don't know 01, maybe 2000 one i don't know um and i seen him he was an intern I go, hey what do you do here he was like oh i'm an intern down i was like dope i got a new job for you he was like well here's what you're gonna do i'm gonna get you me dj enough big mike i got like five djs like you're going to now be the guy that we give all of our mixtapes to, and you hand deliver them to all the boroughs in New York, a.k.a. I invented mixtape distribution. Mixtape distribution. Uh, so like, um, and that, he was the first one to do it. Like, I, I, I literally created it. So I got him all the guys. He started doing that. And then I developed a mixtape site called MixUnit.com, which was the biggest mixtape site in the world. So big, we made $5 million the first year we opened um, so when I did that, I did it on purpose because all these, I was like, man, these other companies stuck. I hate chasing my money. I hate trying to prove myself worthy to them all the time. Cause remember, I'm still this insecure Clinton that feels like he has to prove himself to people. And these guys would make me feel bad about myself. Cause when i call them, I'd just be this like puny little dorky white kid from Boston, like just trying to convince you that I'm dope. Right. So like, I was like, what can I do to not have to feel this way anymore? So like, I built the big the world's biggest mixtape Mm -hmm. website in the world so i didn't have to deal with them but also um i could then befriend and kind of own the market here's what i mean so once i opened that all those other like lanes had to shut down because they couldn't compete uh one of the one of the sites was my boy named q so my boy q was like man you an asshole bro like i had to shut down my shit (laughs) <laughs> what what am I do now? And I was like, "Well, dude, here's what you should do: you should be uh, an aggregator and just go get all the videos of like shootings, fights, stabbings, every all the shit that happens at hip hop clubs, because no white kids can ever see that. Like, it's way too dangerous. Like at this time, like white kids weren't at hip hop clubs. You know, today it's all we're all hanging out together. Back then, yeah. it was like if you went to a hood club." No white people were there, right? So like, I was like, you should go get all the videos of all that, put it on one website, so all these white kids in college can watch it, and be like, yo, Styles P just stabbed somebody in a club. Right, you know And all those fights and shit. So Q was like, yo, that's a dope idea. And that was the creation of the
0: <laughs> Clayton Sparks is the little Richard of hip hop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: Uh, invented it all man so I mean bro not even just hip hop I mean like I discovered and signed DJ Snake in 07 I found him at a basement party in Paris you know what I mean and then like I was like yo this dude's got dope drive he reminds me of a French me, right so signed him you know we put out uh, platinum records together we got a Grammy nomination I introduced him to Little John and then a song called Turn Down for What comes out and then he becomes a superstar. You know what I mean? Like, hmm. there's a lot. Like, yeah, DJ Khaled, like, I remember hearing a mixtape from him. Actually, the story's in my book. Um, the story I'm about to say, piece of it, is in my new book, How to How to Win Big in Music.com. Get familiar? So, um, yeah, like, i seen a mixtape, you know, because I'm, I'm pretty much, I know everything that needs to be known about DJs and mixtapes at this point because I own mixtape.com, right? I put everybody on from drama to you name it. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, even back early, I'm like, yo guys, why are we making mixtapes with other people's songs? Why don't we just take the pop and beats that are out and make new songs over them and make like street albums. Mm-hmm. So like, the whole concept became like the, the new concept, 50 cent Dipset, like, Right. So then, um, so I seen a stack of mixtapes in a record label office one day and I'm going through it and I'm like, DJ Khaled from Miami. And I was like, he does, when the fuck did he start doing mixtapes, right? So I'm like, let me listen to this on the way back to Boston. So on my ride back, I'm listening to it, and he had Timbaland and Scott Storch literally making their beats live on his mixtape. And I was like, this is dope as shit. Nobody will ever hear this, right? <laughs> so, like, so I thought, so, like, I reached out to him, and I was like, yo, Khaled, because I knew him because I was already on the radio, and so was he. So we already knew each other from, like, radio conference calls and stuff. Like I knew he was the man in Miami that if you needed to break in Miami, you had to see DJ Khaled. Right. So I was like, yo, I need to come meet with you, bro. Like you're way bigger than Miami and I need to show you how to do this. So I flew down, I met with him and it's funny because he's always been the same Khaled too. But we were about to have our meeting, this this was Khaled, ready? Right? Yo, nobody talk to me right now. Big business Clint Sparks is here. We got to <laughs> talk to <laughs> about it. We a times. You know <laughs> now it's a man, right? So I go down, I'm like, bro, like, this is what you need to do. You got to do this. You got to, oh, nobody knows you outside of Miami. You have such a fantastic personality. Like you're a superstar. So we had this whole conversation and he was like, I need that. I need that. I need that. Right. Very, very, very hip, very New York hip hop, even though he's in Miami. Need that. Right. So I'm like, he goes, yo, remember that kid, Little Wayne? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, he just gave because remember Little Wayne and Cash Money were huge, and then he went away, and then mm-hmm. he came back. Right? Yeah. So he goes, "Like he just gave me like eleven songs, man. I don't know what to do with them." I was like, "I do." Right? So <laughs> he put his mixtape together. Khaled and, and Wayne did a mixtape together. I did all the marketing and branding behind it, and like that was literally the resurgence of Little Wayne, and that like broke Khaled out of my out of Miami, and so it was so big that Little Wayne was on the Jimmy Kimmel show. And change lyrics in the song to say "Mix Unit." Um, yeah, so like, dude, I can go on and on. Like, I made Puff and Jadakiss friends again when they were angry about the whole publishing thing. Like, Jada the Jada refrigerated, Kiss. the refrigerated thing. Well, no, when they were like going on on the radio talking about Puff stole our publishing. Like, yeah, so yeah when they were the, they
0: were gonna, gonna throw the they to throw the, uh, the refrigerator yeah. off the Empire State Building.
3: Right. Oh yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, they did so. So how did
0: how did you sit them down at the table after? <laughs> after that heated exchange
3: it wasn't at a table so Jada Kiss was at my house and uh i made a record so i did a mixtape called um what was it called endurance uh with chester french these two kids from harvard right and at the time like pharrell jermaine dupree kanye everybody wanted to sign them right they were like a modern day two-man beatles right but but like hip hop so uh we made a mixtape and Jadakiss was at my house and I, and I had made a song prior to that. I was in the studio working with Chester French and they were like, I had a big Siroc deal and they were like, you know, these are two like young white kids from Harvard that are super like fascinated with the fact that I hang out with all the rappers and stuff. So they're just like, like, how do you hang out with Diddy? And dah, dah, dah? like, you know, typical things that a, a young kid would ask, especially then a typical young white kid would ask. Right. Cause it's just like so cool. And how do you do that? So, um, so they're like, how do you have a Rock deal? Like, you don't even drink, right? <laughs> so like, so like, as we were talking, Wale text DA, who's in Chester French, and was like, yo, Puff just tweeted about you guys. And so we looked at the Twitter and was like, yo, I love this dude, this Chester French. And I was like, oh, my God, I got it. I know exactly what we should do. We should make a song, because they love Puff. Puff Odyssey likes them now, right? So I was like, let's make a song called Ciroc Star right? And then we'll get Puff on the record. We'll send it to Puff to see if he'll jump on it. So we made the record and the record was super dope. If you haven't heard this project and you're a mixtape fan, you need to listen to this project. It's like it's like a movie. I got like Pusher, Cassie, Janelle Monet, like you name it. They're all playing characters in the skits in between the songs. And then we have like big features like Pharrell. Everyone's on the songs. Mm. So like, again, works of art that I'm a part of that, like, if you don't know, you don't know, right? right. So, um, so Jada comes out my house, we make this record, we get puffed down to do it, so Kiss is at my house, I play him the record, I don't tell him what it's about, right? And I go, yo, you need to get on this record. And he's, like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, yo, I always wanted to get on a rock record, Sparks, right? So I'm, like, I'm like, yo, you need to be on this record, this should be dope, right? And he's like, yeah, I'm with it. Uh, all right. You like the record, right? Yes. Beat Fire, right? Yes. So you're in, right? Yes. All right, cool. So here's the thing. <laughs> the record's called The Rockstar, and Puff's going to be on it. And then he ah, oh, Sparks. Yeah, I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> so then I just no, see, this will be dope if you guys do this record together. We'll shoot the video in Vegas, which, by the way, there's a video on YouTube of all of us together in Vegas all of us. And Rick Ross, LMFAO, Black IPs, Megan Good, everyone's in this video, right? Um, that we shot in Vegas. And that was me. So I called Puff and I was like, yo, we, we're going to get Kiss on this record. Are you cool with that? And it was almost like, it wasn't that hard, by the way. It was, it was almost like they wanted to be friends again. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. so like, so Kiss was at my... Grass, <laughs> priest, grass, grass, priest, grass, grass. Record done. And then they connected and pieced it out, and then we made the record. We all shot the video in Vegas together, and and that was that. But if you don't know, you don't know. <laughs>
0: you know like, are, are movies up next? Or hot, like that part of Hollywood up next? Are you going to produce? Are
3: you writing? Man, it's, uh, so <laughs> sometimes I get nervous to talk about everything I do because it's just like, how do you do so much? There's no way, right? But I think at this point, I've proven, like, I've done a lot <laughs> of shit, and I've won, guys, right? So it's like, I know what I'm doing and I know how to manage things. Like I talk about this in the book too. Like, like uh, the only thing worse than having no goals is having too many goals. It's literally one of my chapters. Right. And, and I exemplify uh, the difference between somebody doing that uh, erratically without a plan that they're committed to. And someone like myself that became a human ecosystem at the beginning of my career. And I intentionally did that in the early two thousands. Like, I was calling myself a brand in 2000. People were like literally laughing at me like what does that even mean? You know what I mean? And like and the reason I would do that is because I I looked at it as a way of detaching the, my person to my brand. And so Clinton Sparks, I was the president of the brand called Clinton Sparks rather than I'm um, Clinton Sparks. Mm-hmm. So and the good thing about that is like if someone hated on me or talked shit, it didn't bother me. I looked at it as like okay, what can I do better to make that person like the company better? And if someone like stroked me or had nothing but great things to say, it never went to my head because I'm like I'm doing a great job running this company, you know what I'm saying? So, um, and that's how I've always been um, since the beginning of my career. And was I gonna? Oh, and when I was the ecosystem thing. So like I I built my own syndicated radio show that was in 22 markets. I was on Shade 45. Um, I was on E News. I was one of the biggest mixtape DJs in the world. I built the biggest party in Las Vegas, like the big, before EDM reigned Supreme, I had the biggest party every Saturday for three years in Vegas, billboards, taxi cabs, flyers, everything. And my party, I would, it would be a melting pot for me to bring like fabulous and Paris Hilton. You know what I mean?
2: Like,
3: mm-hmm. like Tony Braxton, Asher Roth, Tyrese and Brody Jenner and Neo all on the stage get at one time with me. Like that's the kind of parties that I would have. Because it was indicative of who I was in high school. I'm just bringing it into my business world, right? Um, so I made myself a, a human ecosystem. Because if you look, if you think of all those things, each one sends you back to what the other one, and they all tie together. It's not like I have, you know, a, a car maintenance shop and a pizza shop and then a, a swimming pool. Like you know, three things that have nothing to do with each other. Mm-hmm. Everything I'm doing when I pump gas into one, it's like gas is going to all of them. So that's the difference from like when you have a lot of goals and when people say. You're doing too many things. When when you're doing too many things, but they all connect. You're not doing too many things. You're doing one thing. If it makes sense. I feel like I'm talking way too much. No, 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 not at
2: all, not at all. I'm learning new things about you as you're talking. Like I'm just like. By the way, you guys. I I didn't know that.
3: You guys might be the most like. Every time I talk, I'm always insecure and feeling like, oh, they don't really care that much, and I'm trying to hurry up. You guys seem like the first like intimate crowd that you guys actually tell you really care what I'm saying. Oh yeah, yeah. Because we do. <laughs> yeah we do. Facts. <laughs>
2: we
3: do. Real shit. Like. I, wish my girl, I wish my girl cared that much.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all yeah. yeah 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 I actually have a I actually have a question that's in regards to your book. Um you know we all know people that call themselves rappers, right? Yeah, yeah. But most of them are garbage. Right?
3: Uh, and today's so comment is to, subject to your opinion.
2: That's true. That's true. Would, would you, if you were giving advice to a new artist, what would you say is most important?
3: Talent or or creating an image? Hmm. Well, all of those answers are 100%. <laughs> 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 but, uh, you know, and it's funny, I even talk about how unfortunately talent can take a back seat um, to your ability to just one, being a good person, but two, Your ability to network, uh, build relationships, to politic. Uh, I mean, literally, what you just asked me is literally what this book is all about. Um, So, I mean, look how many people you... Like, look, you just said a lot of people are garbage, right? In your opinion. But...
2: Probably probably one out of every 10,000 rappers is good.
3: Right. So, uh, (laughs) but... It depends what, so let's, let's take, for example, someone that's popping that we won't even say a name, but let's take somebody that's popping that we, let's say we all collectively decided like, yeah, they're not that dope, but for some odd reason they're cracking, right? Yeah. You're missing, you're missing the value in them. When you're just looking at their song or their music, you're missing the component of what makes them a winner and you're judging it only on the song that you don't like. Do you know what I'm saying? So, and that's what I talk about in this book is like, look at, if you sit there and you say, I'm a better singer than Beyonce, you know what I mean? It's like, all you're doing is comparing a song to a song. You're not seeing all of the other variables that make her a Titan. And mm-hmm. she doesn't just sell a song. She's selling, you know, hustle, you know, empowerment, uh, you know, fashion, you yeah. know, skill like she's selling a whole box of shit that comes with that song you just made a song you know what i'm saying like her we do you an experience but even back then we can go see her practicing at 15 years old with her friends like doing their routines like <laughs> when they were 15 it didn't yeah. happen overnight and you know again in my books i say like you know most overnight success takes 10 years to happen. Meanwhile, most overnight success doesn't last 10 years. Do you know what I'm saying? So to answer the question direct, what's more important the image or talent, uh, it depends what you mean by image. If you mean by the image as your artist and a brand to fans, no. Image who you are as a human being to people, to gatekeepers, to DJs, to like everybody on this call right now, Yes, because your image and your reputation, the reason why we're on a call now, the reason why Damon John wrote the forward to my book, the reason why I can call anybody and get them to do stuff with me is because of the image that I built. And that image is one of a reputable, stellar man with morals and values that's going to do the right thing. And when I call you, you can rest assured that it's going to be either an opportunity for you that's going to help advance your brand, or it's going to be a check coming your way. I'm not... or you just want to talk. Me and Bun-V talked the other day just about life for like an hour. Yes. I just randomly called him. You know what I mean? We're just talking about what's going on in the world. You know what I mean? Like, and you can only do that when you left a trail of greatness behind you. You know, a lot of people uh, nowadays, with speaking of image, they're just trying to chase this fame train, right? Mm-hmm. Anything to be famous. You know, it's like famous doesn't make you great, but great can make you famous. So, focus on the great.
1: Wow. Oh my gosh. yeah, I mean it's it's also crazy too, like, like we were saying before, just how we're in a period of time especially with social media where everyone's just so much focus on their social media followings and numbers and and that's a, that's like the main thing for them. And then even now, we're starting to see so many people that are trying to just to, like hone in on eSports and gaming because it's the one thing that's still going and it's still moving. And we see a lot of acts that are going in who have gone in it's very genuine, but I also feel like there are some people that are trying to enter just because it's the only thing that's alive right now. And they just want to keep their brand and image up. So how does one even like from, from someone who's, cross over into the esports world, you know, being part of FaZe Clan way earlier. How does one even just get associated with this scene without it seeming like, oh, you're just riding the wave or, oh, you're just trying to, because it's hot right now, you're just trying to be a part of it?
3: Well, unfortunately, we live in a world now where it is what it is, right? You can't fight it or change it. And what I, what I mean by is that there was a point, you know, during my career that like, what's the, what's the saying real recognized real, right? Where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. Cause me and Brandon could run into each other in Tokyo, have a conversation or Okinawa have a conversation 10 years ago about something in just the way I move, the things I say, the references I make, he'll know, ah, that's a real motherfucker because mm-hmm. he's saying certain things that I know about. Now we live in a world where there's no secrets, right? Like everything's online. So like there is no being able to identify if somebody's real without them being real for an ample amount of time and proving it. It it takes time now to prove your authenticity and your realness and the value of that realness, right? So um, before you could just kind of tell, by the way somebody moved and get maybe one or two references from other real motherfuckers that'll say, no, nah, no, nah, that, dude's, that dude's the shit, right? Now it's like you can't tell because everyone's faking like they're the shit, right? Mm-hmm. And people can say whatever they want to say because it's all out there. Like, you know, if I would say to, to Wilson, like say we're sitting around years back and I'm like, yeah, bro, like I used to have to turn on the kitchen lights and wait for the roaches to scurry away, you know, dah, dah, before I could eat breakfast, Right. Only people that went through that would fucking know that know that, right? Now everybody knows those stories. So they mm. embellish and they lie and they make their life seem like it was worse than it was so that they can be relatable or, mm. or, or gain empathy, right? It's like I had a conversation with somebody recently that was, yeah, we had I was like, no, you didn't. Yeah, what do you mean no I didn't? Uh, and then I called them out and they they were against the ropes and they couldn't they <laughs> i really do this bro you know what i'm saying so it's like and that's but then that's the thing it's like then you find yourself in a world which i don't subscribe to but then people do they they spend time trying to prove their realness do you know what i'm saying like before you could just he's real he's not in a story for example if somebody came out sounding like another rapper whack get him out of here mm-hmm. right yes. now now it's like Yo, he's dope. Why? Because he sounds just like... You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's dope? Yeah. And even rappers go in the studio and feel like they've accomplished a win because they just put auto-tune on their record, sing, say some fucking catchy lines, and they're like, yo, I'm about to blow. In their mind, psychologically, why they think they're about to blow is because it sounds exactly like everything else that's already blowing. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? So like, And I think... That's the world we live in to go back to the, the original point is it's hard now for some, I don't even blame the people that do the wrong. I blame society because we don't reward dope. You know what I mean? We don't, it, the same way we, were, we reward like stupidity. Do you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. there was, was a point where you would just go to world star hip hop to watch something dumb like some girl hit another girl on the head with a shovel. You know what I mean? Like
0: that. I don't remember that. that,
3: that <laughs> now it's like everyone's trying to see who can do the most zaniest shit to get the most clout and attention. And then because I did something that was so talentless, is like stupid. Now I'm gonna build a merch brand off that. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like now I'm so I'm gonna go by, let's say Nazim's the biggest goof in the world, right? He has no talent, nothing going on ever. <laughs> but but what he does is he goes around and he licks public toilet bowls, right? And then he starts <laughs> posting it on Instagram. I can so see him doing like, it. Oh, you see that kid licking <laughs> toilet bowls? You know what I mean? Like, and then that word starts spreading around. And then we, as like, you know, the unintelligent part of our society or those that like, I don't want to say everyone's unintelligent because even people just want to be entertained and the news that are intelligent, but it's like, the ones that then like revere them or hold them up is like, yo, that dude's lit. He gives no fucks and not giving no <laughs> fucks. Like, put you on some pedestal of don't miss nowadays, right? And it's like, nah, you actually should give two fucks. You know what I mean? Like, and mm-hmm. and like now that kid that licks toilet bowls. Now guess what happens? He can go start a toilet bowl cover fucking company. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because of the popularity got from licking toilet bowls, is that good or is that bad? I don't know. I guess it depends. Like what you become on, like. It, look, it, there's also like the, the you know, out, outlandish marketing, right? That you have to do things to get somebody's attention, right? And that's like any great company does something wild to get your attention and then say, okay, now that I get your attention, check out this. You know what I mean? Like, and that's that's just marketing one-on-one. But I think like it goes back to the famous doesn't make you great, but great will make you famous um, uh, chapter in my book is, um, that's what I think people are focusing on just going for fame. Fame fades. Fame fades. Mm-hmm. Greatness is revered forever. So and, so,
2: oh my, so, from what it sounds like, it sounds like your book is more so going to show people or artists how to thrive beyond gimmicks.
3: You know, it's funny. Although this book is it's how to win big in the music business, Yeah, the principles and values in this book are transferable to any industry, including your personal life and relationship. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to, like, I don't want to really go out and say it that much because I want people to just, it's like putting medicine in the baby food. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, if the baby knows you're giving them medicine, they won't eat it. But if it's mixed up in the food,
2: they Maybe will get a little bit in there.
3: Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I'm going to jam dope in you. You know, whether you <laughs> want it or not. You know what I mean? And, like, and I say it in the intro. It says, I'm going to teach you how to do more dope shit and less whack shit. That's what's up that's far is it an audio book as well yeah i'm actually working on a deal with audible uh right now so that like so when you yeah i'll be at the ebook there's a whole course with over 50 videos mm-hmm. um like and i get some of the greatest people in the music industry talking about like you want to be a, a video director understand how to work with talent understand how to film right uh i have director x you know, we do a whole module together about that. I have, uh, you want to know everything from recording to mixer and mastering. I have five-time Grammy winner, Fabian, who's one of the greatest mass mixing guys out here mm-hmm. talking. You want, to, you want to know how to create effective video content and grow on YouTube. I have Faze Rug, who has 15 million subscribers. We talk about the process of starting to becoming successful or you want to know how to start an independent record label, how to own your own masters and partner with people instead of being signed. I do a whole module with Yo Gotti. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I have all that's part of the course too. Wow.
2: That's super dope. Now, um, I guess going into your book, outside of the, the tools that you're trying to uh, give people, what is it that you would like for people to take away? Because you know, like how you said, it's, it's almost like a, a fire hydrant of information. You're going to kind of catch what you can catch, right? What do you want or, or that you hope people take away from it that and maybe some of the more uh, particular skills that have helped you in your career outside of the networking and being, and, and being earnest? Uh,
3: I want them to understand the art of being dope. Okay. And, and, and it, it, it's a long definition of being
2: dope but i mean no like, that ma- that makes sense you didn't have to say i, I get what you're saying there, there's there's a way to be cool there's a way to do certain things to network and I, I that is a short way to just i, I get it i give right. jimmy
3: so to like to you know Aaron, Aaron, you know is really engulfed in esports and one of the things i'm sure she'll she'll relate to or agree with is like these kids, there's a lot of kids that in esports that are young that are making a lot of money playing video games and creating content. And that's all they know, right? That's mm-hmm. all they know is how to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. They don't understand the power of politics and networking and sustainability and scalability, the economics and finances, and even when we talk about finances like taxes, tax write-offs. Like they don't understand the art of building these relationships and, and preparing for 10 years from now. They don't mm-hmm. get that. And it, it, it's painful to watch, right? When you see like someone like me that understood that from day one, like I would go to record labels. Guys, I'd go to record labels all the time as a, as a complete nobody, right? And I would sit there and I would talk and I would watch them not listen to me or care, right? Mm-hmm. So I would start, I would literally start saying like, yes, yeah, so I made this new record, da, da, da. And then like, I see the guy like, looking at his phone, blah, 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 this, is and that. Right? And I'm like, yeah, and that's why I usually jerk off six times a day. And I da da, da, da. <laughs> and, I, and I keep talking and like, they like, yeah, yeah, that's what's up. That's dope. That's what's up. And I look at my manager like, are you, are you joking? Like, I just, I just talk about jerking off. And this guy was like, yeah, that's what's up. Like totally not listening to me. Right. So early on I realized the power of not getting mad when people don't listen, but instead learn to talk when people are listening, right? Mm-hmm. So don't get mad when they don't listen when I talk. Learn to talk when people are listening. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, it, it's, it's a powerful tool. Like think about it. If you go to your mom when you're a kid, right? And she's pissed off from work or you just did something wrong. She's mad at you because you didn't take out the trash. And right after she yelled at you like, mom, can I get five bucks? That's the wrong <laughs> you know like, it's the wrong time to talk. You know what I mean? So, like, take that same skill and apply it to business. Um, But yeah, so I just want people to understand that there is a formula to winning big in music and in life. And I teach you the effective tools of how to use this formula. That's pretty dope.
1: Man. Clinton, when your book is available, where can they find it? Where can they download it?
3: What happens? Uh, how to win, how to win big in music.com. How to win big in music.com. The forward is written by Damon John from Shark Tank. And yeah, guys, I'm really excited about this book. I'm excited about the course. Right now, I'm going to be giving away 1500 books for free. So if you go to how to win big in uh, I have a first in line thing there. So if you sign up and you're one of the first 1,500, then you're going to get the book for free. I'll be All doing right. that. I'll be doing yeah. that. Yo, definitely, I'll definitely do that. <laughs> All you guys sign up, man. Yeah, I will. Definitely. But yeah, so I'm excited. I'm excited to share this knowledge. I'm excited to be, you know, my, my commitment to helping people will go far beyond this book. Uh, this is what I plan on doing uh, from here on in. Uh, I think like I worked my whole 20 years, to get to this point, to be able to do this for other people uh, mm-hmm. and help. I mean, even like Erin knows, like even like all the things I told you that I was a part of, like, look at now, I'm still doing it in esports. I'm like, I'm the one merging hip-hop and esports together. again. I brought some of the biggest names in hip-hop into e- for the past two years. I've literally been selling and selling and selling mm-hmm. and trying to convince everybody for two years, from Puff to Swiss Beats to you name it. I talk to them, right? And, you know, I finally got Yo Gotti and then DJ Paul and then Offset and then Slay Lee and then Pitbull and, you know, and all these people and talking to Ludacris. And all these people are now starting to understand. And it's but it's weird because it's kind of like how many times do I got to prove to you that I know what I'm talking about? But it also goes back to like, look, how many, Pharrell can make hits, but he might send you a beat and you don't pick it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So and it's, you, I, it's, I constantly have to I did an interview with David John the other day. And one of the questions he asked me was like, what's the biggest obstacle you have in your entire career? And that obstacle was being, being able to convince people to see what I can see. Mm. Uh, And and that's the hardest thing because it's like, you could have 15 wins. You still got to, every time you got to go back and prove why this win uh, is why you should pay attention to. So, you know, it's a gift and a curse when you can see, you know, 10 feet past everybody else, The gift is you can see it. And if you know how to capitalize on that or monetize it, then you're going to win. The the curse is people think you're crazy. People don't believe you. And if you work Mm -hmm. for a company that has a boss above you, they're going to say no, because they don't have that kind of vision. and and, and, and like They can't fathom you have a bigger vision than they have. So (laughs) it's very rare that a boss of a company is going to say, holy shit, you have better ideas than me. You should be doing <laughs> your you be like it doesn't
0: just doesn't happen. Claire, man, I, I appreciate it, man. I, I think uh I think I can speak for everybody when I say when this thing clears out COVID 19, either we gotta come to LA or you gotta come hit us up in Manhattan to come uh to come do this live in front of the camera, man, and not on the, the video cast.
3: Yeah, I'd love to. Where, where's this gonna live now? How do people see this? YouTube,
0: YouTube at grassroots uh podcast.
3: Nice. Yep. Well, let me know what it's up, man, so we can all share it. Definitely. And people can get familiar with how to win big in the music business. Thanks. <laughs> definitely. Be sure to pick up Clinton's
2: book, guys. Um, obviously not just because he's been on the show, but you can guys, you you'll, you, you can get the vibe from him hopefully through, through the segment. But um, we definitely want to thank you for coming on. Thank um. You. Also, Clinton, let them know where they can find you on 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 your social media handles and stuff like that as well.
3: Everything is at Clinton Sparks. At Clinton Sparks. Get familiar. Dope. Um,
2: and that's probably one of my favorite drops, by the way. Too. That's the <laughs> clue. Um. Thank it's you. If easy. you've been watching,
3: you. if you've been watching yeah. everyone's lives. Like I'll jump on people's lives. And like yesterday, like Jermaine Dupree Kali, like. Uh, who else? Uh, Swiss beat. Like a whole bunch of people. Like when I jump on, you'll hear like, and no one just says shout out Clint Sparks. It's always Clint Sparks. Get familiar. Get familiar. Yeah. You, you, got, you got to put the yelling emoji. Like, get familiar. Yeah. 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 Super, well, super thanks dope. guys. I appreciate you all. Everybody stay safe. And thank you for giving me the time to tell my story and get people familiar with my new book. Definitely,
2: thank definitely. you. Thank
3: uh, you. As thank always,
2: you. guys, thank you guys again for tuning in to another episode of Grassroots Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, hit the noty notification button, be notified for our latest of the greatest episodes, as well as make sure that you sign up for the newsletter to be notified for our events, streams, and a bunch of other cool stuff we're doing around gaming, esports, and culture. Uh, thank our guests, Clinton Sparks. And again, as I said, I am one of the hosts, Brandon y'all.
1: I'm Aaron Ashley Simon. Also join our Discord community, bridging the oh. gap between gaming and culture <laughs> and all the above. We actually, 10K Cash mm. just joined. Um, I, one of my friends who covers uh, uh, UFC and boxing, and we're getting a lot more dope people who just want to talk gaming in there. So head on over to our Discord. It's going to be in the newsletter too.
0: I'm <laughs> right in the mm-hmm.
3: All right, Wilson.
1: And our special guest.
3: Blaine Sparks, get familiar.
1: Hey, are we out? Peace.
3: <laughs> grass grass